Hello there, and welcome to AFPT Comics Podcast, episode 46. My name is David Brooke, and I'm here with Forrest Hollingsworth, the greatest Forrest of two R's I've ever known. <laughs> Hello, I am Forrest with two R's, and I have been postponed indefinitely. Damn, son, but I hear you. I can see you, almost, spiritually. Coming to you at a later date. All right. This is the comic book podcast where we talk about the latest news. We recap the last week and look ahead to the week ahead. And I said that weird again this week, but don't worry because I won't be doing all the talking. I've got Forrest here to do half the talking. And we also later in the show have Matt Kint, the writer of Folklords, which is coming out this upcoming Wednesday. A new boom fiction series, high fantasy. Yes. Medium fantasy. Yeah. Medium, high, low a, fantasy. A really, a really fantastic indie book, I would say in the vein of stuff like Middle West. Yes. Um, you and I both enjoyed the first issue quite a bit. We did, and we both came up with questions. And uh, if you hold on, you get to listen to Matt Kent talk about fantasy. We play Super Fight. It's ridiculous. We pit two fantasy characters against each other. He also tells us what he's into that's not comics related. So if you don't like comics, hold on to the very end. We're going to be talking about non-comic things <laughs> then. For about five minutes. Exactly. Less than that. Probably like 30 seconds. Anywho, to start our show, we always talk about the news because that's the top stuff that everybody wants to talk about, listen to. And I know that you're probably only going to listen to this section and then you're going to turn it off. But guess what? Matt Kent's later. So like, hold on. <laughs> we'll put we'll put the timestamps in the show notes. End of news. Matt Kent. DC Comics put a shiv in our backs, folks, because they retired Vertigo early. They said it was going to go all the way through 2020. And guess what? They they took the, the logo right off all their books at the end of October. Those jerks. Now, yes, it's like not that big a deal, but, you know, it's still sad. It, well, I'm, mm, mm, it bums me out. It does, right? It, it Just because, okay, so what I think probably happened. Mm-hmm is that all of the Vertigo staff fucking left. <laughs> right. And so they were like, all right, well, there's no one to even slap the logo on the book, so why are we doing that? Right. But I, I really do think Vertigo deserved more of a service than that. Maybe they um, should have done something to, like, honor the ending, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean... There's so much history. I, even something, like, exceptionally corny, like putting out the last issue of every Vertigo book with, like, a gold cover or something. Right, right. I would buy them. Yeah, those would have been collectibles. That would have been yeah. cool. Oh my God, why aren't we working for DC sales? <laughs> <laughs> Put gold on it. <laughs> um, have you seen this video where David Lynch talks about watching movies on your phone? No, I haven't. So there's a video where David Lynch, I think in an interview, he gets really upset about people watching feature-length films on their phone. And he he, he, he hardly ever gets mad. Yeah. Um, and he goes, it's, it's such a sadness Ooh. that you would watch a movie on your fucking phone phone wow i like that um you did a and, good and job the way he gets the way he gets so sad about it, i practice a lot mm. the way he gets so sad about it kind of is the way i feel about vertigo going away or being distreated mistreated by dc yeah 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 uh-huh. like it's such a sadness to me that you would just let it stop without any sort of fanfare i guess what makes it weird too is it's pretty clear dc black label is, is continuing on what vertigo was and should have been they're just changing the the the, the labeling. Right. It's not right, like they're yeah. ending all like well, indie it, non-continuity horror kind of titles. No, yeah. those are going on. Well, Cuz they have black label. So right. it's really all in service of this weird age brackets thing, mm-hmm. I think. And maybe someone, I don't know. Maybe someone wanted to see Vertigo and Mad gutted for some reason, but I very much doubt it. Yeah. 
Likely, yeah. It's yeah. likely like just the sales weren't there and they thought, let's just rebrand and, and go from there and fresh start kind of thing. Right. Right. Although DC Black Label didn't start very uh, strong either. Well, but I think it, I think it really has picked up now. <laughs> it is, yeah, and they have some yeah. really ex- interesting titles. Yeah, yeah. I think they're kind of figuring out what to do with it, and I am happy to see that. Something else DC is trying to figure out what to do with is DC War Giant number one and T Titans Go Giant number two postponed. What was that? Indefinitely? No. Mm-hmm. That's not a good sign. <laughs> That's not a good sign. So, yeah, both books just not going to be uh, solicited for a little bit, I guess. Yeah, so DC told retailers that the, all the orders are canceled. They plan to re-solicit both at a future date. Mm-hmm. Kind of a big deal because it included art by, like, Jim Lee yeah. and stuff, so it's it's weird. These are books that had previously, in last year, um, been Walmart exclusive. Right. But they've since started shipping these giant books to retailers as well. So that's lost money for retailers or lost marketing for retailers. And I think that I don't see this giant line going on for much longer. Right. The format's interesting, but it, it feels like it's lost its way. Yeah, I agree. Both books were $4.99 and they were supposed to come out December and January. Yeah. Oh, well. Bye bye. It's, it's such a sadness. You need to do a whole show just like that. I could. One of my D&D characters sounds like David Lynch. Does he really? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So in our next bit of news, Folklords number one coming out next Wednesday. Matt Kent on later to talk about that same comic has now reached a third printing at Boom Studios. Get out of town. A third printing? It's not even out yet. How did they do it? <laughs> yeah, I, it's got to be generating positive buzz in the market. You know, they send the books both to us and to retailers really early. Yeah. Um, you know, and then they do first order cutoff and all that stuff. But I, I would assume that this is because retailers are really interested in it and really excited by it. I also think Kent's name sells really well. So that's good for him and good for Boo. Very good. And we'll be talking about this a little bit later uh, because Boom's been having some hits where there are third, fourth printings going off before even books come out. It's it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get away from Boom. Let's move to Marvel Comics. Have you ever heard of them? Yeah. Have you ever heard of J.J. Abrams? He may or may not have a movie coming out in December. Well, (laughs) his Spider-Man comic at Marvel, which has... That's probably the last big movie of the decade, right? Oh, yeah. Probably. That's crazy. Well, Spider-Man 3 and Spider-Man 4 pushed back. Three weeks for three? Well, that's nice. It's like goes together, three and three. And four pushed back 11 weeks? Yeah, that's crazy. There's Say a big what? Difference there. Very strange. Um, and then number five is still solicited for January 29th, but they're obviously not going to do that because they never release books out of order. That would be really weird. Yeah, very strange. Although, actually, no, isn't that happening with Wonder Woman coming up? I think so. Uh, uh, I meant Marvel in particular. Oh, uh, okay. DC does dip their toes in that sometimes. So, uh, what do you suppose this is happening? I mean... It's, I just I just told you. Nick Lowe said... This man is working on the <laughs> biggest movie of the decade. But we all know his son Henry's really writing it. Or True. is he? Oh my God, the truth comes out. You know, I just wonder, because Nick Lowe talks all over and over about how many years it took him to get this contract signed. and Yeah. It took a year to negotiate, right? So how is it they don't have these scripts in? Unless it's an art thing, which is fine. Uh, Sarah Pacelli could have taken longer. It could be longer. an art thing. It could be that they've decided to change directions. It's subject to rewrites. Right. Anytime you do that stuff with someone as busy as the Abrams, it's going to take longer. Right, 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 right. Um, you can't truncate that timeline. So that, it could very much... It honestly very much could be that he's very busy mm-hmm. with 
Castle Rock and Star Wars, whatever else he's working on right now. So if you've been following the news that we've been going over, canceled books, third printing, delayed books. What's next, folks? Undiscovered Country number one is Image's second biggest selling launch in a decade, and it's going back to a... Second printing. Whoa, look at that. We got flip-flop news this week, folks. Um, An interesting (laughs) pattern that I just noticed here is that we're talking about the big two books being postponed and canceled. Yes. And indie books getting out on time. Holy crap. Strong point. I didn't even see it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, folks are into the indies lately. I think, well, yeah. I think I would say indie publishers have a much better sense of when they need to put books out what they need to do to market their books. It's just such a more intimate process between publisher and creator, mm-hmm. um, especially in Image's sense. I don't know about Boom or Dark Horse or anything like that, but but Image, I think that that's very often a very direct partnership between Image and the creator, mm-hmm. you know, for cost sharing, for editorial purposes, for all that stuff. And so they, I think they just have a better sense of how to market their books, how to get them to people, and and to understand when their books are performing really, really well. And to capitalize on that. One might argue folks are a little more interested in original storytelling, maybe, as well. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that Spider-Man book is anything from original, so maybe. <laughs> well, that one's delayed, though. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Folklords and yeah. Undiscovered Country, brand new stories, never been told. Spider-Man, yeah, that's, T-Titans that's Go. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. That's yeah, what I was saying. Exactly. Wait, you're just copying that's what, me. Mm, that's what I was saying. <laughs> Well, anyway, if you want uh, to get pick up Undiscovered Country Number One, and you haven't yet, December fourth, second printing issues will be in stores. And if you want to pick up another new indie series, get out another Chew, one. Chew writer John Lehman uh-huh. is returning with a book. He's calling Butterfly Effect Noir the genre. The man who fucked up time is the the title of the book. Nice. Uh, let's see here. It's a funny, goofy idea that hit me when I was brainstorming time travel ideas, Layman said in this Newsarama piece I'm reading from. Uh, I'm into this. Yeah, hell yeah. I love to. Yeah, for, for sure. I, and his style I is really so unique, so expressive. Did that show ever come out? No idea. I don't think so. I, I think that there was even a trailer for it. Quickly, to the Google. Uh, yeah, I'm Googling real quick. <laughs> no, uh, no, 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 animated movie dead, no TV show in development. Ah, uh, yeah. A fantastic indie comic, though, if uh, people haven't checked it out. And then follow up with The Man Who Fucked Up Time and with Rob Gilroy's uh, Farmhand, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which both look very promising as well. So that's another bit of good news. Another bit of indie good news. Some more good news. October sales are in and they're up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm trying to be like a prospector or something. Yeah, I like it. Uh, one of our writers uh, at AIPT told us all, he's showing us these numbers, and he pulled out a quote I wanted to read to you. By Thanksgiving, retailers will have ordered more new comic books in 2019 than they did in all of 2011. And that includes that New 52 event. And this is all mm. from an article by Comicron. So, holy crap, I guess it's getting better and better? Yeah, I, I a fantastic time for comics right now. And even month over month. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in October, uh, units were up 16.49% and dollars were up 22.22%. Damn. Um, so, year over year and month over month growth right now. That's really fantastic for the industry. Uh, virtually unheard of in literary publishing. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see why the New York Times was like, get comics back on the bestselling Ooh, list. Ooh, good point, yeah. That was because, a couple weeks ago, yeah. Yeah. $56.35 yeah. 56, $56. million dollars made this month. 
That's that's a lot of money. To year to yeah. date, four hundred and forty-six million. That's a lot of money. That's a lot that's of a cash. Lot of money for, that's a lot of money for books. Yes. It's obviously not a lot of money in other markets. Um, when Endgame is making what one point two billion or something, <laughs> and Joker just passed a billion, whatever. Right. But in terms of books, that's a significant amount. Um, the top publishers, the top three publishers, were Marvel, DC, and Image in that order. Marvel had 45.2% of the market share, uh, DC had 32.02, and Image had 7.18. We've mentioned before that the drop-off from the big two to the next one is, is always significant. Yep, and like it drops that. even further from there. IDW is next yeah. with three, yeah. Dark Horse with two, Boom with two. And then um, the top-selling comics by units. So units shipped, not price. Um, X-Men number one, no surprise there. Spawn number 301. Uh-oh. So that does surprise me. <laughs> um, Powers of Ten, number six. House of X, number six. The Joker, You're the Villain, number one. Amazing Mary Jane, number one. I'm very surprised that book sold. Not me. Well. Not me. I love that book. <laughs> <laughs> um, Absolute Carnage, number four. Ghost Rider, number one. Immortal Hulk, number 25. And Marauders, number one. Now, something that's very interesting about this is that there is only one DC book. Oof. Which means that they share the same amount of um, units or placement as Image does. Actually, Image is ahead of them with Spawn yeah, number 301. Yeah. Someone's so, going to want Dan Didio's head on a plate soon. All of those other books are Marvel. <laughs> now, if you um, look at the dollar share, there are a couple more DC books in there. There are. Um, and that's because Harleen number two was seven ninety nine. <laughs> yeah. Um, Joker Harley, Joker Harley, Criminal Sanity number one was five ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and You're the Villain was four ninety nine. So the same as most Marvel cover books. But yeah, Joker, you made a good point. Joker Harley and Harleen both uh, even more money than than the usual more money comics. Right. Uh, <laughs> both both black label books. But um, as you said or alluded to earlier, Joker is the best performing superhero movie of all time is that right most profit i think yeah most profit i was gonna say because it only costs um, 60 whereas like these avengers oh, movies right. are like 250 or right whatever. so um most profit I, it's certainly these joker and harley books are are piggybacking on that i will say quickly i was surprised to see the joker you're the villain while i liked the book i didn't expect it to reach so high but again maybe it's just the joker buzz I don't think it's the creators. I don't think it's the label. I think it is the movie. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, John Carpenter's great. And also October, great, but... you know. Uh, yeah. That's yeah, true. Yeah, certainly. Jim Carpenter is great. I just think it's a good time of year for Joker books to come That's out. That's interesting. Do you think Ghost Rider is so high because it was, you know, Halloween month, as I, I think coined? <laughs> two things contributed to that. Okay. Ed Brisson is on New Mutants number one this week. Mm-hmm. I think people are going to be interested in whatever he's. I'm. I think that there's a Dawn of X bump across Marvel right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Any of those creators are hot. And then also October and a flaming spooky skeleton man probably probably go well together. Right, right. Now I loved Mary, Amazing Mary Jane, but I am also kind of surprised it's so high up. Um, I think that that is attributed to the lower price of the book. It is the least expensive book on that list. Uh, Another good point. You have so many good observations. Yeah, I should. I really could do a podcast just about comics. You should do a podcast about comics. But you couldn't, so. (laughs) I couldn't. I'd fail at it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, so I think that there's a couple interesting things happening right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Most primarily that Marvel's technique of just flooding the market. Yes. 
it yeah. seems to be working. As another surprise, really quick, we're not going to go over the entire graphic novel list, but Doomsday Clock Part 1 hardcover, both on the uh, units and dollars uh, at the top. And it's number mm-hmm. one for mm-hmm. units and number two for dollars. Yep. That's surprising. I guess people still want it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think... I'm more inclined to buy it now that I know that we're just waiting for the final issue. Right, right. Like, when there was, like, two and they were getting pushed back, way less confident in that book than I am now. Uh, In our last bit of news, McFarlane partners with CGC for mail-in signing of Spawn 300 for $89. And 301. And 301. Not bad. I love that he, he fucking threw that in. They threw that into the both him and uh image were just like and also 301 actually according to the newsarama headline it's or anything else so will he sign like a oh, ham interesting can i, I send him a milk carton i saw that the release said 300 and 301 yeah you're right yeah i don't um, know who knows it's just a headline they... in- interesting yeah uh how do you feel about this well they need to be sent in by december 9th so hurry up folks uh <laughs> i'm not really into the whole signing thing i don't really understand it i'd ra- i mean what to me if i'm meeting someone great sign it i have proof i i, I shared that moment but mm, to get mm, something mm, sent mm. away and sign for all i know a freaking cat signed it you know yeah sure I feel, yeah how do you feel about purchasing things that are signed you know sometimes you yes. pre-order a album or something like that and it comes with a signature so i have one thing signed that i purchased when i uh-huh. was 13 uh-huh it was spawn number two i'm not kidding <laughs> And it was really? it's signed by Tom McFarlane and uh, the guy, the actor who played Spawn or something, I think. Oh, interesting. Or the character is based on this person. I don't know. It's weird. I have to pull that out. It's all bent. It doesn't matter. But at the time, I was so into Spawn. I thought it was so cool. I, I thought, eh, it's not that much. It's an investment. But uh, hmm. that's the only time. You? Uh, is it signed by Michael J. White? Oh, that is sounds that... right. That sounds right. Yeah, the, the actor that played Spawn. Oh, okay. I think that this is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I applaud Todd McFarlane's financial savvy. Oh, sure. Because people are absolutely going to pay this. But um, the resale value for this book is going to tank because right. of this. You know, it wouldn't be hard to have an intern or two figure out how to sign your name and then just help you out a little bit. <laughs> mm, yeah, sure. You know, I do think sometimes they also like stamp the signature on. Oh, true. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I, I think it's just the idea that it happened at all, right? And they, yeah. They may give you a certificate of authenticity. I mean, being slabbed is kind of a certificate of authenticity. So I don't know. I just kind of feel like people aren't going to even get the $89 that they spend for this back true. out of the book when everyone on the market is inclined to do this it's not it's really not the same as having a batman dam that has the bat wang <laughs> yeah <laughs> because because and I, th- I think he likes to think that that's kind of what he's doing mm-hmm. but it's not i'm a little surprised how low the number is but you're right i don't think it's even worth 89 right yeah well actually if you have a cgc membership it's only like 15 to 20 bucks to get a book graded Right, right, right. Yeah. Um. So they're they're charging you. They're upcharging quite a bit. How much want to bet if this is successful, we'll be seeing this a lot more often. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Rob Liefeld is salivating. <laughs> yeah. Let's just ponder which other creators would be really into this. I don't know if there'd be that many actually. Maybe some older guys like Byron or something or Burn. Sorry. Um, Rob Liefeld, obviously. Yeah. 
other guys that are big on don't fuck with my money, I can't think of many. I wonder how do you get like your breasts signed via mail? Uh-huh. Whoa. <laughs> uh, so what were your top books of last week? In our next segment, top books of last week, we talk about our two favorite comics that came out last week. And to start, we talk about the top critic and top fan picks from comicbookroundup.com, the Rotten Tomatoes of comic book reviews. With the, top the critic least pick. surprising top picks. Top critic pick is one we've never mentioned on the show. And when I say that, I mean we always mention on the show. Die number nine with a 9.5. And the fan pick was? Immortal Hulk number 26. And actually, this is, I think, the lowest score I've seen for a top fan pick Mm. with an Mm. 8.9. And then, of course, factors in because we always pick things that have more than three reviews. That's correct. Um, I think that this one has... 21 or so right now wow um yeah exactly 21 reviews um but the user rating is an 8.9 the fan or the uh critic rating for immortal hulk is also lower than normal with an 8.7 both books are books that don't need reviews in my opinion yes they're selling so well yeah and the names attached to these books and yeah uh yeah immortal hulk is no doubt going to be one of the most successful comics of the year Oh, yeah. Um, I would not be that surprised if Kieran Gillen himself is in the top five most successful creators this year. Oh, my God. Should we try to crunch those numbers in January? Oh, boy. <laughs> A lot of numbers. I got to get more spreadsheets open. Look, you make really good points. I'm sure you can figure <laughs> it out. Uh, Christian Hoffer over at comicbook.com gave die number nine a 10. And said, this remains a fantastic fantasy series that takes a hard look at how the games we play affect our lives. Whoa. And Platinum Thorns gave a 9.5 to Immortal Hulk number 26 and said, fantastically written issue with great pacing. All right. I'm a, I'm a man of pacing. I like that. <laughs> you do like your pacing. I talk yes. about it all the time. You, you do. That's I, I see that in your reviews frequently. I like a well-paced day. You know, like go mm. to the pumpkin patch, mm. get an ice cream. <laughs> Every day. Yeah, every day. (laughs) What's your second favorite book of uh, last week? My second favorite book of last, this week, last week, uh, is New Mutants number one, written by Jonathan Hickman and Ed Brisson, with art by Rod Reese. Um, The reason that I chose this book is because the art is so amazing. I want to live in Krakoa after reading that book. This is an amazingly beautiful painterly book that piggybacks off what artists like Sinkowitz and others have done on New Mutants before. They even do like the weird rings around Magic's eye like they always do for Warlock and stuff like that. It's It looks so, so good. Um, it very effectively undoes some of the sadness that happened in Matthew Rosenberg's uh, uncanny x-men run to mm-hmm. the new mutants mm-hmm. it um sets out a really great mission statement for the new mutants the same as marauders and uh x-men and all those books before have done as well actually x-force is not on my list this week because it didn't create a mission statement as strongly as new mutants did um i love the humor of it i love th- there's so many great character moments that tell you kind of where these kids are and, and where they're hoping to be or to recontextualize their lives in um, in the same way that all of Mutantdom is through Krakoa right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm just so much more personally invested in these characters, and I thought that they executed that really well. Although it does lack some action. Oh, uh, it does? It does? It, it's a really good team book. Yes, yes. It feels Probably very strong yet. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly, yeah. yeah. If you care to, to hear what I think, go to AIPTcomics.com and read my review. I liked it too. Good book. Mm-hmm. Uh, my second favorite book of last week 
on New Comic Book Day, November 6th, just to be so clear, is uh, Adam's Family, The Bodies, number one, by Zoe Quinn and Philip Murphy. This book, I was expecting it to be good, and I was pleasantly surprised to find it even better than I thought. I gave it a 10 out of 10 at aptcomics.com in my review. It's, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the movies, the more recent movies, you know, and uh, I haven't seen the cartoon, so... Have reading... you seen the new one? You haven't no, seen I haven't. The new one. No, and while the characters are drawn like those characters in the in the new movie, I don't know how close it is as an like an adaptation or a sequel or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, Quinn gets the characters down really well, and uh, Wednesday is basically the main character. You, you kind of follow her in the day in the life, and basically, not to spoil it too much, but she finds a um, like one of those Cosmopolitan magazines. With all those tips on how to do your hair and all that. Oh, yeah. Cosmo. Yeah. It basically uh, kind of backfires and the family gets worried because she's got like glitter and all this uh, going along. But um, it ends in a way that she feels developed and changed thanks to uh, some motherly advice and some connecting and bonding going on. Mm. It's also funny. It has the same kind of humor that you're expecting like you know she's trying to kill her brother and it doesn't work and it's that's frustrating <laughs> yeah the classic adam's family stuff yeah that and wouldn't Mur- work in really any other kiltered it really would universe it's pretty twisted but yeah. somehow they still survive like basically everything backfires so like if you take a gun and try to shoot someone in the face somehow that ends up being like a bullet in his tooth or he does a back <laughs> yeah, backflip right, or something right but uh, um, Murphy is really good at the uh, the visual comedy too, uh, nailing mm, those aspects. Mm. And it's a really pretty book. It's a one shot, uh, so I highly recommend just checking it out because it's a done in one. You just enjoy that little story. Very cool. I'm really really excited to see Zoe breaking into the comics medium so well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big fan of her work. More more work from Quinn, please. My number one comic of last week was Spider-Man and Venom Double Trouble number one, written by Mariko Tamaki with art by Guhiru. Uh, this is a fantastic, I almost said children's book. All ages. All ages. It aimed at a young audience, but not tailored for the young audience. And I will say that um, I, I like this book so much because it trusts its audience so much. Um, you mentioned earlier that the IDW children's books or young audience books tend to feel a little bit more kiddie. Mm-hmm. Um, I was interested in this, though, because I obviously like Spider-Man and Venom very much, but also because of how much I liked Mariko Tamaki's Harley Quinn Breaking Glass, which was another fantastic kind of so aimed book. Um, she carries that same through line, that really fantastic visual and um, narrative comedy through here. The art is competent. Um, but the book opens with stuff like Spider-Man, Spider-Man does all the cool things Spider-Can, action hero, awesome dude, saving lives, never rude, look out, there goes the Spider-Man, and then on the next page has Venom, and it says Venom Venom does all the things a symbiote alien that has merged with a human form can. (laughs) He's an alien, super rude, a villain, and overall, a real bad dude. Look out, he like, really bordering on unpleasant. (laughs) um and it's just kind of like ending on that off rhyme you know um for venom but not for spidey all that that kind of humor is really woven into this really fantastically there's a great uh great scene that reminded me of like shoots and ladders or Candyland with ghost spider just a really fantastic kind-hearted book that still trusts its audience to 
to to introduce a plot that is a little bit more challenging than other books might be. Yeah, I just realized I reviewed every book in our top four here. <laughs> wow. I yeah. uh, I reviewed this one too. I I totally just mirror everything you just said. It's it's filled with content too. Like it didn't feel like it was short or quick. No, yeah, I think it dances through genres and artistic styles and stuff really well. You know, when Mariko was on the show a few months ago, mm-hmm. she, I don't know if it was on air or not, but she mentioned she was doing a Spider-Man Venom book. And I was like, geez, you're just doing everything. <laughs> She's like, yeah, it's unfair. Because we haven't talked about this, and we probably will talk about this sometime soon. Yeah. Uh, Laura Dean keeps a breaking up with me. Her graphic novel that was released earlier this year mm-hmm. um, is the best graphic novel that has come out this year. Ooh. Oh, we, we're going to definitely do a top 10 list. Yeah, oh, I, I figured we would. But yeah, yeah. Um, I just, I really like everything she's doing right now. Nice. Yeah, for sure. Really good. Uh, how about you? Number one pick. Swimming in Darkness, a hardcover that came out this week from Arsenal Pulp Press and Lucas Harari, and it was translated by David Homel. This is a book that I was randomly mailed by a publisher and like like six months ago. And I was like, I want to write a review now. And they were like, don't do it till November. I was like, damn. I gave it a 10 out of 10. It's uh, it's haunting. It's I think I described it as The Shining Meets Days of Heaven. In mm, that it's damn. haunting. Right. Yeah, it's haunting. It's visually arresting. It has a mystery afoot. It's basically about this guy, Pierre, who has uh, dropped out of college. He's trying to finish the thesis that he didn't finish on architecture. And there's a spa that has captured his interest and the uh, architect of the spa is a mysterious dude and he goes to the spa and like walls move around and all of a sudden he finds a secret room and the rock shifts i'm gonna leave it at that there's a big twist in there there's a superhero element to this book Mm. i'll say no more to avoid any spoilers because really it draws you in and then like stuff happens and i really hope there's a (laughs) sequel to this book uh, I could totally see this being adapted into a, a film. It's it's like one of those, it's basically in the mountains, uh, the snowy mountains, and there's like a, a hotel, and this. it's like quiet town. Everyone's kind of keeping to themselves, and Pierre has these moments of rage that you can't really understand, and you're trying to figure him out. I don't know. It's really, really good, and uh, I highly recommend you check it out. It's also an extra-sized hardcover format. It feels really good in your hands. Oh, cool. Yeah. I think this would be a, a solid gift if you have a, a friend who's into comics, or especially uh, indie graphic novels, because this, I don't think, is on many people's radars. It just it, hmm. it just really yeah. just... I loved every page of it. Neat. Do you have any friends that are into comics? A couple, yeah. <laughs> that maybe haven't read this and would like to? Oh, I'm going to mail it to my friend, actually. Oh. I have two copies. Do you want, uh, do you want, do you want my uh, second copy? Which friend is that? <laughs> I'm going to give you both my copies. Oh, cool. Actually, it's funny. I have one copy that's perfectly good. They sent it to me again for some reason. And can then I have another s- copy. Can you stamp your signature on one of them? Well, one of them has uh, the, public, the, the PR guys, like, it was printed into the cover, his email and phone number and everything. Oh, cool. And what I power was, trip. So I was looking up the book to find some art for it uh, when I was writing my review. And I found... Someone's selling that kind of that PR copy on eBay with his email and everything. And I was like, geez, that's kind of weird. That's weird. Yeah. And they were selling for like $30. Okay. So uh, in our next segment, Trending Now, this is the segment where we talk about something that we've noticed of late in comic books and we ponder why, what, how. And (laughs) 
Right now, it seems like Boom Studios keeps putting out these books and they get second, third, even fourth, even fifth printings. Yeah. Um, I'm talking specifically about Image three, two. three really recent books, Something is Killing the Children, Once and Future, and now Folklords, as we talked yep. about in the beginning of the show. Yep. They've all gotten multiple printings, but particularly before they even come out. And that's where I'm like, That huh? is true, yeah. Uh, what do you think? What would you attribute it to? Because I have a theory, but... I would assume they, they the the first order is a smaller number than mm, uh, they mm-hmm. it has to be. Yep. The cynic in me is thinking Boom is doing this on purpose so that they can <laughs> brag about the, all the printings. The Nintendo approach to yeah. production. Yeah. But it's more than likely that they're just being cautious because they can't take risks like Marvel and order two hundred thousand copies. E- true. Very true. Um, what do you think? The other thing I would I think that that's all true. Mm-hmm. But I think that this problem is exacerbated by the fact that something is killing the children is James Tinian. Uh huh. <laughs> Once in future is Kieran Gillen. Yep. yep. And Folklords is Matt Kent. Right. So the, they aren't scaling for the names attached to their books. Kieran Gillen, we've mentioned this. Kieran Gillen is the top writer every week his book comes out. Yes, that's true. Over at least, at least you know, critic and fan reception wise. Right, right. Maybe right. not sales wise. And the only reason that it might not be sales wise is because Boom isn't putting out enough copies of his fucking book. <laughs> right, right. And that's not an insult. That is a fantastic problem to have. I mean, it could be they're pushing the hardcovers and the collections more. I think that those always sell better. Right. There's There could be more money in it, too. I wouldn't know. Uh, yeah. I think that there probably is. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a really, really great problem to have. Oh, yeah. Sure. For sure. I think it's a good problem for retailers. I think it's a good problem for distributors, publishers, and the creators themselves. I just don't remember books going to second, third printings before they even came out. That's crazy to me. Yeah, I have seen some pretty ridiculous stuff. Like you mentioned, I know that there's at least one or two books that went to like fifth printing this year. Right. And that, I think that there's a very fine needle to thread here Mm -hmm. because that's too much the other way. How do you Retailers mean? and readers and stuff aren't getting the copies of your book, right? If you're going right. all the way to a fifth printing, you're not releasing enough at a time. If you're releasing the exact same size printing as previously or something, that that's probably not working to your benefit. Mm-hmm. But two or three reprintings is really working to your benefit because that generates a lot of great buzz. Right. Once in Future is one of the ones that reached fifth printing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's so kind of... I... I I applaud them, for sure. B- because something is really working there, right? Um, in the in the sense that like, those books also tend to go beyond the mi- the milestone issues. They mm-hmm. tend to go past twelfth issue. They tend to go past even twenty fifth, um, unless they're structured in a maxi series kind of way, which I think is totally appropriate. You know, with Marvel Comics one thousand coming out and them saying they're going to sell all these books. Would you put it past Marvel to pull something where they go, Amazing Spider-Man number 45 has 75 printings? <laughs> no. I, I, <laughs> no. I, I imagine, since I, I've never really seen this happen before where I've seen these you know multiple printings before a book comes out, yeah. I imagine someone out there right now is thinking, I can break that record and make I, the Right, I can, I can fake this. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. That's the cynic in me, though. No, I think that that's probably also something that's happening across the industry right now. It's built-in marketing. Right. I mean, just last week in Trending Now, we talked about Marvel 
putting out all these uh, solicitations and variant covers constantly throughout the month to just keep being in the news. Always be in the news. Always be on the shelf. Yes. No news is bad news. Wait. No news is bad news? And the only reason you're not on the shelf is because everyone bought them. There you go. It's a great cook. So, how about we talk about some books you might want to buy next week? Mm. I don't know. Sounds like uh, swimming in darkness. (laughs) In top books for next week, we talk about the number one book we're looking forward to. That does not mean we're not looking forward to more than one book. There's probably seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve. We're crazy. Forrest, what is the number one book that you're looking forward to next week? I am most excited for The Batman's Grave, number two, written by Warren Ellis, with art by Brian Hitch. Um, I have probably espoused this opinion enough, but I am a little exhausted by the current Batman series. I'm a little exhausted by all the events Batman is in and Justice League and uh, everything else that he's doing right now. I'm a little exhausted by DC using him as their money horse. Um, But this is really, it feels different. It feels so considered and small. It feels like Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch drafted something kind of all the way out before they even put Ben to paper. Um, it really feels like it has something to say and it really characterizes Batman in a really interesting, unique way that feels kind of different to everything else that's being published under his name right now. Um, to say that it's also really well written and incredibly beautiful as well as scary is not a stretch at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it looks great too. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Right before we started recording today, I saw Brian Hitch tweeted, um, that this isn't a Batman that is like thinking 15 steps ahead. This mm, is a Batman mm-hmm. who gets his ass kicked. Yeah. And also it's a Batman where it's very, uh, he's drawing a lot of scenes that are inside tight corners. Yes. Not yeah. He's like yeah. wide open streets that he's usually drawing, which he's yeah. excited about. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of, um, it feels a, bit, a little bit that at least that first issue felt like lightning in a bottle to me. Mm-hmm. It just felt so different and cool and scary. What if it was just a bat- Batman's grave? Like, it was just a tombstone for <laughs> 22 pages. I mean, it does open with that vignette. I thought that was really <laughs> that was really neat. I, you know, I didn't have any questions about what the, why the book was called that. It's funny. Our, our, both our picks are a bit morbid in a sense, isn't it? Oh, that was really good. My number one <laughs> most anticipated book out next week is Morbius number one by Vida Ayala and uh, art by Marcelo Ferreira who is just recently exclusive with Marvel. Yes. So I love Morbius, the living vampire. Who doesn't? <laughs> you know, I'm a little worried about Jared Leto playing him, but you know what? Who cares? This oh, book is God. hopefully, we haven't seen Morbius very much in, this, in the comics of late. <sighs> and I'm thinking Ayala is going to nail it. The book is obviously a little strangely timed because it's coming after Halloween, but who cares? Uh, <laughs> Ferreira's ability yeah, to draw. So it's mostly Hill House, right? That's true. Ferrer can draw these like double page layouts and double page spreads that are just awe-inspiring. His style is darker too in tone. I think it suits the book. And Vita's going to obviously tell an introspective story. Great at character development. Mm. That's Vita. (laughs) So anyway. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Question for you, Forrest. We have a slogan for them. Will Spider-Man appear in this book? And if so, will you pay me $10? What? Answer the question, sir. <laughs> um, yes and no. <laughs> Damn it. Probably at I some think, point. I think only like the suggestion of Spider-Man. Like maybe he'll be in the background or something. Yeah, he's going to swing by or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
All right, next up, Judging by the Cover Junior. This is where we talk about our favorite cover art coming out next week. We call it Junior because Judging by the Cover comes out every Monday, which you should check out, where our staff come together and join together and talk about amazing art that is on the cover of books. Very specifically, those, those details are part of that. Anywho, my favorite cover art out next week is from Morbius Number 1. It's a, a variant cover by Kyle Hotz that I did not see until only this week. Maybe it only was released recently. This cover is insane. Morbius has these crazy detailed wings. Yeah, which... I saw this one. Okay, yeah. I know it's probably not part of the character, although maybe it is. Maybe in the story he gets wings. Who knows? But uh, it's grotesque. There's the tearing of his clothes is cool. Crazy butt shot. And his calves <laughs> and uh, hammies. You got to see his calves and hammies, oh, guys. Shit. What's his routine, huh? I don't know. Probably every, drinking every, blood. <laughs> every morning he goes to the pumpkin patch and lifts every single one. Do you think that he uh, cracks an egg into his blood glass every morning? Mm, yes, I do. There's also a really cool lantern in the background, some bats floating around. It's it's really cool. It's also off-center. He's sort of to the right. Yeah, the I thought that was neat, too. Yeah. If you go to AIPTcomics.com and go to this posting, you can see these covers. I know it's difficult since this is a podcast. What is your favorite cover art out next week? So this is the first time that I've cheated. <gasps> um, my favorite cover out next week is the second printing of War Children number one. So many, this is like the, the second, third, fourth printing show. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, by Chris Claremont with art by Bill Sinkovitz. The cover here is a really, really cool kind of um, sepia-toned magic. And then right down the center is this weird distortion, pink and purple and red. And on the right-hand side is Dark Child. It's got this um, theme that ties really well into the Warlock visuals that are used throughout this issue. It's got a wicked cool, like, Apocalypse Now title font. Um, it's just really neat and beautiful. And I didn't see, I, I scroll through the covers every week and this was the one that caught my eye. I don't think it's cheating. It's new, isn't it? Yeah. Good pick. I like it for all the same reasons that I picked Bill Singlewitz's cover when War Children originally came out. <laughs> he is a true artist. He is. In our next segment, we will be interviewing Matt Kint about Folklords. We'll also be playing Super Fight and giving Matt the floor with Off Topic Top Shelf. Hang in there. It's a good one. Enjoy. Bye. Okay, on the uh, line, we have Matt Kent. Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. So, Folklores, I've, I've had the chance to read it a little early. And my first question for you isn't too much of a spoiler, I don't think. But when you turned 18, what was the quest you gave yourself? <laughs> oh, my gosh. When I turned 18, here's a... I do... Uh, I don't know if I was 18. I'm trying to remember when I met my wife, like when we were first dating, mm-hmm. and she reminds me of this all the time. And I was down I was living in my parents' basement, of course, because I was a comic book artist and was yeah. going to art school. Yeah. And I remember she reminds me, she's like, you told me that if you, the one thing you wanted to do in your world, in your life, is uh, get a comic book published or get a graphic novel published. If I could do that, then my all my life's goals would be complete. You know, that was my one goal in life. And uh, she reminds me of that all the time now when I get big comp boxes full of books I'm complaining about <laughs> having to carry them from home to the studio. <laughs> She's like, that was your life's goal. It's <laughs> happening again and again and again. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's what uh, I would say that my first goal when I was 18-ish was to just get a, 
uh, graphic novel published. Nice, and you completed that quest quite uh, quite sp- splendidly, I'd say. I know. I, I told my wife, I was like, maybe I should set my bar higher. I, I don't know. <laughs> you could set yourself up with more quests. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. So Folklords is, I love the premise of this. It flips things. So fantasy can get however big or small, depending on the creator's take. Can you talk a bit about your process of coming up with the world that is introduced in Folklords? Um, yeah, you know, I did a, my background is uh, reading Conan comics, Marvel comics when I was a kid, you know, and then yeah. branching out to actually reading the books, like the novels. And then um, I read a lot of, I'm trying to think what other, you know what else I read? Piers Anthony. And I, I guess people don't, do people read him anymore? I just don't, I don't hear sure. about him at all. I think that was definitely like a late 80s, early 90s author or whatever he did. But he did a lot of fantasy that was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, so I read a bunch of that stuff. And then as I got older, I got into comics. You know, I, I was reading Frank Miller's Daredevil and I was just liking more grounded stuff. And I love Ian Fleming and, and Raymond Chandler and the crime and spies. And, and so I sort of just chose that route. But in my DNA, there's always been that fantasy element like with conan and all that stuff and and i love lord of the rings like the novels and uh i like the books i don't know why i said the novels but i yeah i think the books are just richer you know oh yeah uh, so dense yeah and i i mean i read the cimmerillion <laughs> oh i read that one but, too uh, what would I... it takes you so deep yeah that's what i liked about it i was like oh it's like it wasn't entertaining to read it but <laughs> it was almost like appreciating like this gigantic work of art that just took, you know, the detail and the background and, and like seeing the, it's like you're seeing all the, the structure underneath the art, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like all the work he went to. And I think that was what was amazing to me. And so I always liked the genre, but then as a grown up, I, it never really appealed to me. I was like, Hey, I just don't like if there's magic in it, then how does that happen? I have to, mm. it's a, it's a part of my belief. I don't like suspending, you know, like mm. I want to have explanations for things. And I feel like, if you have magic or supernatural stuff, it's it's a way to you can really cheat as a writer, mm, and so mm. you have to figure out how to. I feel like it's it's so problematic that I always kind of was scared of doing it. So I I finally I was like, you know what? I if I'm scared of it, maybe that's why I should do it. Because <laughs> I the other part of me is I like to do things if it's hard or it seems impossible or if it's a thing I don't think I can do or can't be done. And it's like, well, I might as well. We should try it. <laughs> right, right. It sounds hard. If it sounds hard, it, it's uh, probably gonna be fun. And then that's kind of how this came about. It was like, well, what would I do? How would I? How can I do a fantasy book that satisfies me as a writer, but also has magical stuff in it and all this, all the things that I think are problematic? Um, and how how can I solve those problems? So that's kind of where it came about. Is this a situation where you need to figure out the problem as it comes, or do you set up this whole world, how the magic works, all that before even getting into it? Yeah, I had to figure it out ahead of time. I I didn't want to wing it, you know, yeah. because I don't want to. I didn't want it to turn into something. I didn't want to be tempted to use like, oh, and then he, and then this magic thing happens, and <laughs> that solves my writing problem. Right, right. Do you ever struggle with readers or even yourself comparing? your own work to something else, say like Narnia or anything like that? Um, no, you know, it's funny. It's like I, a lot of times I don't even recognize influences or any of that until reviews come out or people ask me questions. And then I'll, and then I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe I could see that. Or sometimes it's completely off base. You know, I think mm-hmm. one of the early reviews I read 
that I really liked was somebody compared it to like a reverse Harry Potter. Hmm. Like instead of Potter trying to go from the normal world into the magical world, this kid's in the magical kind of world and he's trying to fight his way out. And I never really thought of it that way. And I was like, oh, but I, yeah, I like that. <laughs> that is kind of what it is. It's it's interesting because, I mean, it's all coming from yourself, right? Your, your own imagination. It's not like you're sitting there thinking, how can I? It's not like a business where you're crafting it just to sell books. You're It's coming from your own inspirations and your own thoughts, right? Yeah, no, totally. And honestly, what the the way I can understand my own books the best is going to conventions you know when the book's out or it's been out and then people come up and talk to me yeah. about it mm-hmm. you know the, and it's like oh then you i start to realize all these things that are in the books or what you know what i mean like the because i just don't think i'm i don't approach a book consciously and be like this is what this book is going to be about it's going to be a coming of age story and it's a reverse harry potter it's i never think that way i always mm. think oh what if this what if i was this you know it's almost like a like i'm like putting myself in those shoes and they're like what would really happen what would Mm -hmm. happen if i did this or if i was this person or if that happened and then i just sort of play it out almost like role-playing right right like dungeons and dragons yeah yeah it is (laughs) which ironically i'm terrible at playing D. i'm not good at it but Uh i think writing sort of scratches that itch for me but yeah i don't um i really don't know but until after the book is completely done kind of what the book is about or what i was my subconscious was trying to do but i think i try to keep I'm aware now that I'm not aware of it. So I Mm -hmm. try to personally not be aware of it because I don't, I don't want to hit the nail on the head. You know, I want it to be subtle. I don't want it to be um, like, I love the idea that Tolkien, he hated it when people were like, Oh, Lord of the Rings is like your metaphor for world war one. Right. Like, no. And I, I honestly believe that he didn't write that thinking. This is my metaphor for world war one. I think his experiences in world war one informed subconsciously sort of, informed his writing you know and like mm-hmm. and it's so much better because of that because it's in there but he wasn't aware of it so he didn't he didn't make a big deal out of it it just is yeah so much of the creative process i feel like is is finding the truth in a thing and you're not finding the truth in a thing if you're like forcing it or forcing some meaning or or whatever yeah no it's and i think that's what it, i just I try to be honest with the mm-hmm. writing and the storytelling i'm like this is it this is the story and then and then it is what it is it, it it becomes the thing that it is, and I didn't. It, it's coming from me, and it is, if you don't like it, okay. <laughs> There's a little part of me that you don't like. That's all right. <laughs> there is a great moment. Again, I, I try not to spoil. There's a great moment where we hear all these quest ideas, and I have to ask: Were there any that you, that didn't make the cut? Did you come up with other quests or quest ideas? <laughs> yeah, that was. I somebody else asked me what my favorite part of the first issue was, and yeah. that was my favorite. Oh, part. Oh, I love the, that scene. Yeah. And I wrote like a ton of them and then I rewrote them and I rewrote them yeah. and the lettering came in and I rewrote them again. I just, <laughs> it was so fun. It was so fun to do that. That's great. Um, so I've heard said that fantasy is largely about power, be it monarchs or military might or magic. Would you agree? And is that something that you're exploring in this series? Ugh, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think uh, unless it's just a uh, maybe having agency over your own life kind of mm-hmm. thing. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know. These I honestly feel like it's just it's not about this isn't about that. It's, to me, this is a small story um, with bigger stuff around it. But it really mm-hmm. is just like a, a kid trying to figure out what to do with his life, yeah. and how to fit in all that. That sounds horrible now that I say that. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> well, you know, I feel like there's something else to it, too, though. There's the information warfare kind of element 
the forbidden knowledge element that's quite interesting, especially in this day and age with politics the way they are, where folks seem to just lie and lie and lie, and it doesn't seem to matter. Is that something that you were trying to uh, capture or convey in this book? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there is the bigger issue, and I th- I think it's just the bigger it's bigger than that. Even it's mm-hmm. like everybody wants the ultimate answer to the questions. Yeah, you know, like what is what's the answer to this or that? And I always felt like when I was growing up. Uh, my dad was a preacher, so we, I would always be like, "What's heaven like?" or whatever, and he mm-hmm. would say this, you know. And I was like, eh. "But I always thought, you know, if if it's truly heaven, in in my heaven, when I got there, mm-hmm. every question would be answered." Like to me, it's like, "Who, you know, who really shot JFK?" I would get to know that. I would <laughs> yeah. actually get to see it played out, you know. I'm like, yeah. Okay, oh, there, there he is. He's over. There's that guy <laughs> over there. It's on DVD or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like who's. <laughs> Who's Jack the Ripper? I, you would that would be, you know that for sure. And I was like, that's, and I think it's it's that kind of thing that really drives me. I love that idea of like having the ultimate knowledge of the of the answers to all the questions that never get answered, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think really that's kind of what this is about. And uh, yeah, and as far as like what's going on today and the politics and all that, all that stuff is definitely seeping into everything I do, mm. um, whether I want it or not. But I also feel like I especially don't want to make that explicit in the work i want it to be right uh, i want it to be implicit i want people to read it and then come away regardless because i i think if you if you hit it too on the head or Mm -hmm. if you are too explicit you're going to turn off the people you're going to get people to close that book uh and not read it and those are the people you want to read it those Mm -hmm. are the people you need reading it you know what i mean you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna change someone's mind by by hitting them over the head with it or making them feel uh, like they're big jerks, you do it. The best way to do it is to do it subtly, you know, it's right. like with, with the message that's, that's, that's in there, but maybe it's a little more hidden, you know, and I think that's, that's how you convert people's ideas. Of the five issues, because it is five issues, right? Yeah. Is any single issue your favorite of the five? I don't know. The art's still coming in, so I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna reserve judgment. But I every issue just builds on the last one. Like I just finished reading issue two with the lettering and everything, and and Matt's art. He he has this way of putting insetting little, just little flavor panels. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to call them that. It's stuff that's not really in the script, but it's like just a little close up of a crow when they're walking through the woods. And then, nice. And then uh, the ending of issue two, I will say, is my favorite thing so far, mm-hmm. like the last couple pa- pages, just because there's some really weird stuff in it. Like it gets Ooh. really bonkers. And uh, and so I think that's my favorite so far. But that every issue sort of accelerates in the same way. So I think it's just going to get better and better. Very cool. Does Folklore share some themes or DNA with your previous books like Ether or Department H or did it feel feel entirely new? It feels pretty new. Like I've, I've, I've never really written a book with characters that are all kind of like 18 years old. Yeah. So I kind of have to channel that sort of like that idea of characters not knowing everything, but thinking they know everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's been kind of fun to do or try to write with with that voice, you know, or like just try to remember what it was like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of fun. And uh, yeah, there's definitely DNA. There's crossover. I have a, there's a villain character that that's been in every book I've ever done. And so he'll show up at some point in this some way or another, like literally the, it shares DNA with everything. So. Oh my God. The Kent multiverse is growing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, are there any other books that you want to talk about that are coming up uh, that you're creating? Uh, so Folklords comes out November 13th, Wednesday. If you uh, would be so kind, would you like to jump into another segment we call super fight? Okay. 
<laughs> I don't know what to do, but I will do it. It's, no worries. It's all fun and uh, and it's and not serious at all. We've we've played okay. this with a lot of different folks, uh, and it's been quite fun. So basically, I'm going to randomly generate, and because your book Folklords is fantasy, I'm going to randomly generate two fantasy characters, and then we're going to have them fight based on a randomly uh, pulled card from this deck called Super Fight. So, okay, first character is Gollum yeah. versus. Queen Bavmorda from Willow. Oh my gosh. Are you, are you familiar with her? <laughs> I don't know her. I mean, I've, I watched Willow a long time ago. I haven't seen it in a long time. Okay, I could, I could, re, I could just generate another okay. one. Let me see here. Versus the Wicked Witch of the West. Does that okay. count? I think so. Yeah. Judges? Yes. Sure. Okay, who would be the worst boss? Oh gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the worst boss. Oh man. <laughs> I think... I think the Wicked Witch would be, because I think Gollum would be so easy to distract. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Get away with a lot. <laughs> but then again, she knows how to like run a military. Gollum, he wouldn't be able to run, you know, a sink. It'd be yeah. chaos. It's true. That is true. But what do you want in a boss? Like what I want oh, in a boss is somebody that doesn't pay attention to me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's you do whatever you want. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. And I mean, you could easily just throw a fish and he'd be fine for hours. I know, right? You just or give him some riddles every day. You start out with a new riddle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I, you know, I like that logic perfectly. I mean, Matt yeah. Kent wants Gollum as his boss. We got it. It's marked down. <laughs> Put that on his bio. Okay, in our last segment, off topic, top shelf. I just want to ask you, what are you into right now that's not comic books related? Oh man, I am so into board games right now. It's Ooh. like my, it's probably the biggest hobby I've had since comic books. Uh, yeah, board games. I recommend. Uh, playing them. I went to Gen Con a couple of years ago and I've been going every year since and uh, I have so many board games. <laughs> Is there a favorite that's in rotation right now? Um, what am I? Yeah, we're playing this game called Wingspan. Mm. It's about about feeding birds and take care of birds and it's, but the game is so cool. It's like the design of it and the art and everything. It's mm-hmm. It sounds super lame <laughs> but it's so <laughs> fun and, uh, and the game is really great so yeah, we've been playing that a lot. Cool. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. Again, Folklords is out November 13th, and uh, this has been a blast. All right, thanks a lot. 